Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 4 to the end. John to the seven churches which were in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ who is, faith, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood." And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall well because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Samaria, Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake unto me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto the fine brass, and as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I felt his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven golden candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to our church service this morning, to all of you here and also to those that are listening in. From a young age, we all had an image of how Jesus looks like. That image most times comes from pictures in Bible story books. A tall man with long hair, wearing a white robe, a beard, and mustache. Whenever you look in the story books, you most times pick him out. But in Isaiah 53, 2, it says, we have, 
In Isaiah 53, 2, we have a little glimpse of what he looks like while he was here on this earth. It says, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He was just an ordinary man. By his appearance, you would not have been able to pick him out. He looked like any other Jew. There was nothing striking about Jesus' physical appearance. We do, however, like we see here in Revelation 1, have a very detailed description of Jesus' glorified appearance, how he looked after he ascended to heaven. It was nothing compared to the lowly Galilean carpenter. This morning, I want to talk about the glorified image of Jesus Christ. And like I said, we get this image here in Revelation 1. And it was John's vision that he had. And it's one of the detailed images that we see here in Scripture of our glorified Savior. What is the book of Revelation about? The book of Revelation means to unveil or to uncover it solves a mystery. It's that we can see. And it implies the lifting up of a curtain so that all can see alike what is uncovered. All can see alike what is uncovered. It's not a revelation of John like you see many times in the headings of your Bible. That is false. It is a revelation of Jesus. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is pictured as a lamb. And John uses this term 27 times in the book of Revelation. In the Gospels, he's pictured as a servant. But here in, Re in Revelation, he's pictured as the glorified lamb. And whenever the Lord is in a vision in the book of Revelation, he is always central. He is the glorified lamb, the worship lamb, the magnifying lamb. While Jesus was here on this earth, John saw him many times and was with him for three years. But now he sees him in a totally different way, in a glorified way. Where was John at when he had this vision? The Bible says he was on the isle or on the island of Patmos. This was not a vacation home for John. This place was, was a volcanic, treeless, rocky island, and it was about six by 10 miles wide and long. It was made a place of exile by the Romans for their lowest criminals. They were placed there and they were barred from their native country. Why was John a criminal? We see in Revelation 1.9, it says, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's because of a, he was preaching preaching the word of God, and for testifying of Jesus Christ. We see, or John saw in this vision, a vision of Christ who will someday establish his kingdom here on this earth in the future. What was John's response when he saw Jesus? He fell at his feet as dead. What will be our response when we see Jesus? Many times people have this idea of how they will react when they see Jesus. We hear they're going to go 
run up to Jesus and give him a big hug. Or some people that are disappointed with their own life are going to tell Jesus a thing or two. That is wrong. They will not do that. Both cases, I believe when we see Jesus, we will fall at our knees and faces and worship. And we see different times in the Bible when people saw Jesus and their response. It was nothing like I just got done describing. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he was struck by who he himself was in comparison to the king that he saw. In other words, he was undone. Ezekiel, when he saw the likeness of the glory of the Lord, he fell on his face. Daniel, he fainted and was sick for a certain amount of days. Saul, in the book of Acts, when he saw the Lord, he fell to the earth and became blind. In chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, we see that John wrote letters where the book of Revelation to seven churches. These churches were seven literal churches scattered throughout Asia Minor. Jesus is giving a message to John to give to these churches. And in these letters that we see, there are three ways that we can apply them. Number one is a local application to the churches in John's day. The letters portray actual conditions in seven local churches in Asia Minor. The second way that we can view this, these letters is the prophetical application to the churches. From the start of the church till the rapture, revealing spiritual conditions in local churches and in, the, and in individuals in churches. What is the condition of the church? Are we like the church of Ephesus or Smyrna or are we like the church of Laodicea or Philadelphia? Another way that we can apply these letters to our lives is an individual application so that an individual in any church in any generation may be warned and profit by the failures of the seven churches. In each one of these letters to the seven churches, there is a reference to one or more of the details of the description of Christ in chapter 1. And this morning, I want us to especially look at those details that describe Christ. We could probably um, do a sermon with each church here. But I want to especially look at the description that um, is given to each one of these churches. And what does, the, what, those, what does the description mean to our church and to the church there in that time? The first one, the church to the church. The church of Ephesus, it says, Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the middle of the seven golden candlesticks. Who are the seven stars? In Revelation 1.20, we see who, who they are. <clears throat> they are signified as the angels of the seven churches. Who are the angels of the seven churches? When we look at the word an angel, it means a messenger one who is sent, a messenger from God. <clears throat> who, is, who was the messenger at Ephesus? Who's the messenger at our church? I've, I believe it is referring to the pastors of the church. And this gives me a great responsibility you know, that I am a messenger of Jesus 
not of anyone else or of myself, but that I proclaim Jesus. In Daniel 12, 3, it says, And they be wise, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness, that's the key there, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So we see those that turn many to righteousness are like the stars. Jesus holds these messengers in his right hand. What is with the right hand? I believe his, the right hand gives a picture of authority. Where is Jesus at now? 1 Peter 1.22, it says, Who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God? Angels and authority powers being made subject unto him. We see his authority there. Ephesians 1.20-23, Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principalities and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And Philippians 2, 9 to 11, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and in things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see that the authority that has been given by the Father to the Son over the church and someday over the whole earth. The stars or the messengers of the church stand in the place of authority as representatives of Christ in their church. Now the messengers, is not their authority, but it's Christ's authority. If it is in any other authority other than Christ, it is wrong. We are not doing what Jesus sent us to do. We are acting in according to the flesh and not according to Christ. What are the seven golden candlesticks? In Revelation 1.20, it says that they are the seven churches that John was writing to. If we want to apply that for today, it re- represents all churches through the ages. Why does he use the picture of a candlestick? Think about that for a little. Another question, what does a candlestick do? It bears light. It is not the light, but it only bears the light. When Jesus was here on the earth, he was the light of the world. He came to bring light to this dark world. Now that he has gone up to heaven, he has given us the responsibility to shine his light in our candlesticks. John 8, 12 says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Isaiah 9, 2, the people that walk in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. And John 1, 4 to 8, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. John was sent to bear witness of that light. He was not that light. 
Matthew 5, 14 to 16, that says that ye are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. Jesus has commissioned us to be the light of the world. We are to be like the lamps, stand shining forth Christ's light in a dark world. It also says that there's someone walking in the middle of the candlestick. Who is that person? In 113, Revelation 113, it says, One who is like the Son of Man. This was Christ. He used the term Son of Man so he can closely connect his Messiahship and also as the head of the human family. The one who both furnished the pattern of the perfect man and acted on behalf of all mankind. It says that he walketh in the midst, in the middle of the, of the churches. And what churches is he walking in the middle of? The seven churches that is listed here. In Ephesus, the church that lost his first love. In Smyrna, the suffering church. In Thyatira, the adulterous church. In Sardis, the dead church. In Philadelphia, the faithful church. In Laodicea, the disgusting church. He's also walking in the midst of our church, of Subtown Church, of Mine Road Church. Walking speaks of his presence. He is there. The question that we need to ask ourselves is where do we place Jesus? Is he in the center? Is he the head of our church? Or is he competing with another head or a place of authority? Or are we slowly losing our focus on him? And that was a problem at the church of Ephesus. They were losing their focus on Jesus. They didn't have their first love. Is he outside the church knocking because we say that we don't need him like the church at Laodicea? Where is he in our church, in our lives Now the second church, we see that in Revelation 2.8, Jesus said that he is the first and the last. He was dead and is alive. This church was suffering from persecution. What does it mean that Jesus is the first and last? Another word that we use to describe it is that he is Alpha and Omega. And we see that in verse, in chapter 1. Alpha and Omega is the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. Jesus was present at the beginning of time as the creator of all things and will be present when he puts all rebellion under his feet. He will be judge over all. He always existed in times past and will continue to exist in the future. The first and the last speaks of one who is in control. He also was dead and alive. In the book of Acts, many times the theme was about the death and resurrection of Jesus. How many religious leaders are there in other religions that have resurrected? There are none. Jesus was tempted in all points like we are. He went, he suffered a lot and was tempted in all points like we are. Jesus was the one who is first and last, who is in control of all things. He died and was resurrected. And when we realize that Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, that he suffered death and was resurrected, this should bring us hope as we face difficult times, whatever that may be. 
It also should take away our fear. There is life for us. There is eternal life, which is found in Jesus. If there is no resurrection, our faith will be hollow, and there will be reason to fear. But Jesus has our future in his hand. He has the victory over death and the grave. And because of that, we can live in confidence. Billy Graham wrote, Whatever suffering and agony we must endure, either in our own body or for someone we love, we are assured of Jesus' presence. And ultimately, we will be resurrected with a body free of pain and an incorruptible and immortal body like Jesus. This is our future hope. <clears throat> the third description that we have of Jesus is found in verse 12 of chapter 2 through the church of Pergamos. Jesus who has a sharp two-edged sword. This church was compromising their faith in some things and were allowing idolatry to creep into their congregation. In the book of Revelation, Jesus uses the sword to smite the nations at the time of his second coming. How does Jesus do that? When we look through the Bible, the sword is often described as the word of God, the Bible. I believe it could be by the word of his mouth. Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Ephesians 6, 17, it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this is talking about the armor that the Christians are supposed to put on. The word of God will be our judge. <clears throat> the word of God pierces through the body and laying open the innermost parts of the soul which is our feelings, passions, desires, and appetites. And it also searches our mind, which is the thoughts and intents of the innermost being. The Word of God is alive and active. It is with the sword that we can use to fight against the devil and his, and his demons. The Word of God. Satan has no authority over the Word of God. The sword is used offensively and also in defense. It is able to slay both sin and sinners. This sword is a sharp sword that can cut a hard heart. This sword has two sharp edges so that there is no escaping. The sword is a symbol of power and judgment. Jesus' words bear the same power to judge as a sword would to destroy one's enemies. Christ is the true authority. The fourth description that we see in verses 18 of chapter 2 is Jesus' are, Jesus' eyes are like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. This church was an adulterous church. In this church, they were involved in sin. That was not in plain sight. They were hidden. They were wearing a mask. They did things behind closed doors. In Revelation 1, Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. Here, he is referred to as the Son of God. We see in verse 18. What is the difference? 
when he refers to himself as the Son of God, it adds seriousness to the situation in the church. The phrase, the Son of Man, is more tied to Jesus' humanity while the Son of God speaks of his deity. He has eyes like a flame of fire. And this is the idea that Jesus knows all things. In verse 23 of chapter 2, it says, Jesus is the one that searches the reins and hearts of the innermost mind. J.A.C. said that there is nothing more piercing than flaming fire. Everything yields and melts before it. It penetrates all things and consumes every opposition, sweeps down all obstructions, and presses its way with invincible power. And of this sort are the eyes of Jesus. They look through everything. They pierce through all masks and coverings. They search the remotest recess. They behold the most hidden things of the soul. There is no escape from them, as the Son of God is omniscient as well as almighty. At the time of Jesus' second coming, his eyes will be as a flame of fire. With the piercing eyes of Jesus, he knows and can see what is going on at the church of Thyatira, and also what is going on in our hearts and thoughts as well, in our attentions. His eyes of fire looks at our hearts and knows all things. What does it mean when it says that his feet are like fine brass? It speaks of stability in his judgment. It says that his feet are like fine brass. The word fine has the idea that brass is, that has been burned in the furnace for purification and refinement. He judges with perfect wisdom. The fifth description we see here of Jesus, and we see that in chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus had the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The church of Sardis was a dead church. It did not die because of an outside force, but because of the death of its own members. It allowed sin to creep into their church, and we're okay with it. Jesus says here that he has the seven spirits of God. What are the seven spirits of God? I believe this refers to the Holy Spirit. The number seven is a number that is used a number of times in Revelation. The seven spirits, seven churches, seven stars, seven horns, seven eyes, and there's many more. It has the idea of completion of the whole thing. The Holy Spirit gives us life, and it gives us power to live the Christian life. John seven thirty seven to 39, it says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not glorified. We have the Spirit without measure. It said it's the river of living water. It goes on and on. It doesn't stop. So how do we receive the Holy Spirit? And getting, getting this idea from this chapter, John, John 7, in the verses that I read. First, we need the thirst. We need to have a thirst. This means the ardent 
eager, famishing, keen, and all-consuming craving and passion of the soul for complete union with God in the fullness of the Spirit. Secondly, we need to come to Jesus. This means a complete surrender of the life to do the whole will of God as light is received or as we learn truth. Third, we need to drink. This means a wholehearted reception into one's life of the gifts, the fruit, and operations of the Holy Spirit. And last of all, we need to believe on Jesus as the scripture has said. This means to believe in and obey to the letter of the whole gospel program. If we follow these steps, we will live a vibrant Christian life. Like I said, the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives is life that keeps going. It goes on. And it keeps working in our lives if we allow it. As soon as we don't allow it, it'll stop working. The church of Sardis, we were focusing on experiences in the past instead of living in the present on the strength of their church in the past instead of in the present. Am I allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my life today, right now. The sixth description that we see of Jesus, we see that in chapter 3, verse 7. The church to the Philadelphia. This church was known for its service, for its faithfulness, and for their mission. And the description that we see here that Jesus is holy, is true, and has the keys of David. What does it mean that Jesus is holy? It means that he is pure, sinless, and he's upright. Jesus is also true. He's genuine. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus does what he says and doesn't change his word. That brings stability in the Christian life and in our lives. What does it mean that Jesus has the key of David. When we think about the key of the house of David, that goes back to the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 22, 22, and it says, And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. And the person that, he's, that the key was laying on in this verse is Eliakim. The key was placed on his shoulder. And these keys were generally seven inches to two feet in size. They're a little bit different than our keys. But Eliakim was given authority over the treasures of the king. And he had the power to open and shut the door at his will. When Jesus has the key, this speaks that he is sovereign. Jesus can open and shut doors that no other man can do. That should bring, com- bring us comfort that Jesus will allow us to be in his will and no one else can change it. Except we also need to be willing to walk through the door that is open. It is up to us. Paul often talks about an open door in his letters. Colossians 4.3 says, With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. And second. Corinthians 2.12 says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. And do- an open door here speaks of an opportunity. 
for ministry. When an opportunity is before us, let's take it. Let's walk through the door and serve others by serving Christ. When we are focused on ourselves, it is easy for us to not see the open door, especially if our focus is on a closed door. If a door is closed, let us not try to push through, but look around for an open door. There is an open door for each one of us to walk through. Damage is often done to our testimony and to our own lives if we don't wait on God and if we try to do our own thing. Jesus knows what is best for us even when we think that we have our life figured out. The seven, seventh description that we see of Jesus in chapter 3 of verse 14, Church of Laodicea. Jesus is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. The church of Laodicea was a lukewarm church, the disgusting church. How did they get this way? We read verse 17, it says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I think the key phrase that we see here, the way they got the way they were, is because they had need of nothing. They didn't need Jesus. They, didn't, they had their life figured out. They had need of nothing, so they thought. Jesus is called the Amen. What does that mean? He is one that is steady and unchangeable in all his purposes and promises. Again, we see that Jesus is the truth. What he says is complete and final. When Jesus says that he is faithful and true, it stands in direct contrast to the unfaithfulness and deceit of the church in Laodicea. Jesus is one that we can depend on. He is faithful to his word. We can rely on him. We can place our full trust in him. Jesus is a faithful and true witness to God. Jesus is also the beginning of the creation of God. That does not mean that he was created by God in the beginning, but it means that he is the source of the creation. He was there. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made, John 1, 3. Colossians 1, 15 to 16, it says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers or all things were created by him and for him. When we think that we have our life in control and everything is going right, let us remember where it comes from. It comes from the creator. These people, they were rich and increased with goods. I think they did not recognize God for that. We are not in control Jesus is in control as the source of all creation. James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We are blessed because of the gifts that he has given us. Jesus is the source of creation. He is the one that gives us the gifts. Let us also bless others with what 
God has given us. So in conclusion, how do you view Christ? What is our picture of him? I trust that our image of him can be changed in a small way to the way Christ looks in his glorified body. And that we can have a greater appreciation for him and his character. I trust when we see him that we will never be the same when we see Jesus in his glorified body. Just like John was not the same when he saw Jesus. It is this image, I believe, that we will see when he comes back again. Let's kneel to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings and your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the truth that's there. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, that you're in control of all things that you never change, that you're truth, that you're the way, and that you guide us. Thank you, Lord, for the open doors in our lives, and I pray that we would see those open doors. I pray, God, that you just guide and direct each one of us. pray you just give us a good day. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.